0: Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor of Casper Lions Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is week eight of our series in the book of Revelation. This week, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. So kind of a strange chapter. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Casper Lions Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com or you can go to your app or Google Play Store and search for Casper Lions Church. Download the app with the double C's and be connected right with us. Hey, have a great day. Things where we're, um, we're going to get back into Revelation, and I, I canceled the uh, the Christmas series this year because we're going to do Revelation all the way up to December 19th. So um, I just elongated it. Uh, just think of it as last Christmas when you, when Jesus comes finally. That's the last Christmas. Remember, Joy to the World is not a Christmas carol; it's an end of the world song. And we've talked about that before. It's it's an end-of-the-world song. Now, this morning is one of those uh, chapters in Revelation that I um, that I think everybody's interested. And in. we're in Revelation 13. This is the Mark of the Beast chapter. Uh, and so I want to give a couple of things, and then we're going to get into it. And I I have a pile of notes that I, I know I won't use at all. Um, but the, the question is, is, today I didn't want to get lost, so I might just read my notes at some point if I just get lost, or I'm just going to trust that everything's going to be fine. But, but really, the Mark of the Beast chapter in Revelation 13 is the one that I think we, we make, um, we grab and turn it into all sorts of things and make it really scary. And it kind of is a little scary, But it's not, remember Revelation, and we'll get into this in just a second, Revelation is not written to be scary. Um, In fact, the song we just sang, this whole idea of he is, that's, that's like the theme of Scripture, is who is worthy, Jesus is worthy. From Genesis 3 to the end, it's all about Jesus. The whole book, the Bible, is about Jesus reminding the kingdom that he is worthy, reminding the church that he is worthy reminding the the uh, exile that he is worthy and so one of the things that we as a discipleship team has been talking about and, and Chris thanks for sharing last week on kind of the discipleship path and the process we're, we're going to emphasize discipleship in a in a in a way I think that'll be unique and fun and you'll be able to grab a hold of and and it, the journey into discipleship here is just getting started I think one of the things the team is doing is next year, we're going to start having thematic years. We're going to create a theme for the year, and we're going to try to rally around the theme. And so next year, we're going to be talking about biblical literacy. It's going to be the year of biblical literacy. And we're going to really work from, uh, we're not going to preach from beginning to end, but we're going to, we're going to take the, everything that we can and try to try to uh, show and teach and share and explore and increase our literacy of the scriptures. It's so important because we we often turn the Bible into something that's not. And I think that's what happens in Revelation chapter thirteen. We turn it into um, we turn it into vaccines. We turn it into credit cards. We turn it into cryptocurrency. We turn it into all these things that it's not. And we turn it into uh, an ideology which I think it can be, but we make it scarier than it needs to be. And we need to be reminded, I think, what the scriptures are all about. And it's to answer the question and to give proof positive that he is worthy. And the reason all of this is taking place is because he is worthy. And that's where we're gonna spend a year working on a lot of that stuff. I'm really excited about next summer the, we're gonna do the children's Bible, um, and go through all of these like stories that you that you are only find in the children's Bible. You know, the destruction of creation, Noah's Ark, genocide, the walls of Jericho. Like the things that we celebrate in the children's Bible <laughs> and paint pictures of in our kids, the walls of Jericho. We're going to kill a million people today. Let's march around this room. But, but understanding the story and why it's written and the purpose of it, to grab a, a deep and meaningful uh, picture of who God is and why we worship God is critical for the church. Or else we just get confused and we make up our own truths and our own realities and our own ideas and wants, and, and then we turn the mark of the beast into all these other things that it probably isn't. So... That being said, I'm excited about where we're going. Really exciting. The first two weeks of January, weekends, we're going to talk about the, the scriptures, the biblical authority and its origins. We're going to have lectures and all kinds of fun stuff. It's going to be cool. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, but we're going to finish off Revelation towards the end, through the rest of this year. So the mark of the beast, the beast. Let's read this. I'm going to read it to you. chapter 13. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns and written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast? They exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was, all, was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was even given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life. That belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone who is destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful now we're going to start i'm going to talk a little bit here and then we're going to get into the last part of the chapter which is where you get the numbers and things like that and here's what i um a couple of weeks ago we talked about um revelation 12 and i said revelation 12 i think is is the battle in heaven the cosmic battle where satan fell and came to earth and this is the moment where, where now Satan is starting to gather his, his people, his army, to begin to just attack, attack, attack. Now, if, if, if all of us could say that this was, has been going on from the beginning of time. Now, remember, I'm going to repeat this to you, Revelation was written for a handful of reasons, but there is nothing in the book of Revelation that hasn't already been said in the Bible, There's no new information. There's no new uh, words. This is there's nothing new. It's already all been said. And this is the final kind of like bringing it all together. This is going to happen, which we've already said it's going to happen. And the and the people, God's people, have been hearing the stories of the end from the time that they were alive. So I need you to get that in your head. This isn't new. So a reader who's reading this in the first century, when, they, when, when John sends this letter and they read it out loud in the church and they're gathering together, this is not a shock to them. This isn't something that goes, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa what, what does this mean? This is new information. Now remember, when we get to the end, the real end, I, I talked about this about seven or eight weeks ago, I don't know, this is week eight of Revelation, but it was a while ago that what's happening is there's, a, there's an increase of velocity and speed of all the things that are written about in Revelation or Matthew 24 or like Joel 2, it's just the speed is happening at a, at a breakneck pace, it's going faster and faster and faster, so there's more earthquakes, there's more war, there's more famine, there's more and more and more and more, and what it does is it causes the people to begin to go, is this? the end is this the end and i think every generation that's the trick of revelation is to to remind us that the end is coming but again if you're reading this in the first century you have a very clear picture that this is this is going on right now and if we read this we have a very clear picture that this is going on right now now what we've done and i think this is going to happen it is a now and again is going to happen in in its most literal form there will be a day where I do believe there will be a beast that stands and is wounded and is resurrected and healed. And people begin to worship that because at its very core, it will emulate and, and parody and copycat Jesus. So think about all the people out there in the world who, who have no trust that Jesus is real, but have been witnessed to or shared or your neighbor you've talked to or or even to the ends of the earth, have taught, been talked about Jesus, the Messiah, who, who went to the cross and died for your sins and was resurrected. And then, and then this, this situation happens again. So I believe that that literal, and how confusing that will be to somebody. I've made the, the claim here on a Sunday morning many times that during this period of time, the great tribulation that the scriptures talk about, there'll be more people who come to Christ than any time in history billions and billions of people will surrender and put faith in Christ. This is literally the last stand of the enemy, what we read this morning so far, and what we're going to continue to read. All through Scripture, and and this is why I believe that we need to talk about biblical literacy, but when we go from the beginning of Scriptures to the end of the book here in Revelation— The the sea, the idea of the sea is a representative of evil. That the things that are evil come out of the sea. That wouldn't have been a shock to a reader in the first century to to read that and say, yeah, evil will come from the sea. But out of the sea, now here, get this. You had seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on its horns, and it was written on each were the names. Blasphemy God. This morning when we sang, we sang one. the song, by the way, that Hannah wrote, Hannah wrote that song that you guys are like, oh, this is a new song. Hannah wrote it. So this is the expression of the church when we begin to do things where the Spirit of God is moving. But in that song, there's names of God. And in ancient days, the, the people referred to and talked about God using different names. And you see the first act of this beast that comes out, he starts to give names that blaspheme God. He starts to create these new names and make fun of the names, because names matter in the ancient days. So we say like Jehovah Jireh. Would you Jehovah Rapha? Did you put it out there? El Shaddai. You think of all think of Scripture and all the different names and all the different. And names mean attributes. Names mean characteristics. So when you blaspheme. God, using names, you're actually saying this is the real character of God. This is the archenemy of Yahweh. And he's described in a way that looks majestic and royal and like a king and like somebody that we should pay attention to, somebody that's distinguished, and he's given power by the dragon I keep thinking about all the things that we give power to in our life and all the things that we like are become subject to and I think about the, the rapid rate in which we are just kind of handing over our freedom in a way that feels confusing, doesn't it? And this is where the danger of interpreting this inappropriately becomes a problem for the church. Because all of a sudden, we start saying that this political party, or this president, or, or this, this person's the Antichrist, or the beast. And now, this is the thing I think I have to say to you that is probably the point of this entire talk. The beast is given power and authority. But the beast only receives worship and allegiance when we choose to do it. Do you hear that? The beast is doing the beast things. He's being beasty. He's 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 beasting up. He's just a it's a beast party. And he's doing all the beastly things that the beasts do. And being kind of evil. The only, the only problem with that that's abnormal is when the people of God give the beast authority in their life. So we're subject to lots of different things. We're subject to rules. We're subject to laws. We're subject to all sorts of things. But we don't worship those things. We don't give allegiance to those things. We don't give honor and glory and power to those things. Now, I'm going to say it again. The dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And then it goes through, and what happens is they worshiped, verse 4, they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worship the beast. Who is great as this beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Do you see what happens in the heart of the people? They're witnessing all of this garbage and trash and problems and, 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 and ugly, ugly, ugly things. And and instead of going and rejecting it, instead of standing against it, instead of saying, I will not submit myself to you, they begin to worship the beast. That's a change in the heart. Verse 5, then the beast was allowed to speak. You need to understand this. Revelation was written. To promote the sovereignty of God. Revelation was written. To describe the futility of Satan. Revelation was written. To prove and show. The centrality of Jesus Christ. That he is worthy. Revelation was written. To show us the cosmic. And earthly battle against good and evil. Revelation was written. To encourage the saints. In the church. Revelation was written for us to focus. On worship. You see. Verse 5, saying the beast was allowed to speak. Who is giving the beast this allowance? Who is giving the beast authority? Who is actually the puppeteer of this entire thing that's happening? The only way evil has any sort of ability is because God allows it. Again, giving it permission, giving rebellion, it's freedom. Not creating it. Hear the difference there. There's a difference between creating evil and giving it permission to rebel. God doesn't want rebellion or evil to happen. God desires his people to love and worship and and be in relationship with him. But the humanity, the evil in this world, rebels against those things. This is what happens when you see evil happening. This, This particular time in Revelation 13, the world begins to worship evil. To rebel to where rebellion becomes normal. Rebellion becomes the common religion. Rebellion becomes the way in which we worship. That's a shift in the heart. And this is a warning of what can happen. This is why this little first part of Revelation 13 says verse 9 anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand We spend so much energy and time trying to define trying to define what evil is trying to trying to decipher the code and at its core at its core evil is rebelling against god to turning the other direction and saying you're not worthy so why is this important is this a warning yes is this a is a way for us to is this a way for us to be reminded continually where our heart is oriented towards? Yes. And that's the key here. When we begin to orient our heart towards evil, we forget and we become numb to evil. What was normal, and I think I've said this a couple times during this talk, what was normal for people to say, to talk about, to, to just have in culture is so different than 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, the way we dress is different now, like we're all dressed a little warm right now, right, because it's hot in this room, um, but like the way, the way in which people buy clothing, I've taught, Adrian, and I have talked about this a handful of time, you go to a mall, I don't even know if anybody goes to a mall anymore, I mean when we went to the mall like in the 2008s, when we, We went to the mall. Adrienne would go, and like, there's nothing I can buy that's not promiscuous. I can't even shop the way I want to shop. Because that's the way the culture moves. We normalize evil. We normalize perversion. We normalize uh, rebellion. We call it good. And we say that this is worthy. This is the thing that matters the most. And then it confuses us to one evil truly is at our doorstep. Okay, that's a lot of words to get to this part. Verse 11. Anyway, I want to set the stage, and I might be a little discombobulated this morning. Deal with it. <laughs> I wasn't very sensitive with me. But this is important here. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. He required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, 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 whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he allowed to, was, allowed, was allowed to perform, on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's, number of, it's the number of man. His number is 666. So the scriptures... Unfortunately, make it seem like it's some sort of mystery. What's the perfect number? Anybody know? Seven. So seven, 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 is like the perfect number. Six, six, six is like, ooh, I almost got there. And this is the point of the six, six, six. It's to be. It's to pretend to copycat to parody the deity of God, the parody perfection, to be just close enough to confuse people to where it kind of looks like it could be the real thing, to where it looks like, now here, they built a statue. Let's talk about the first first few commandments. What, What is one of the commandments that says not to do that? Graven images, right? Let's not build any idols. So anybody who would understand the scriptures, when they start to build this statue, We'd go, oh, wait a second. Are we supposed to do this? And it's such the event. No, I don't think so. So uh, did I ever tell you about the church where somebody died in that I was, I was like a youth pastor when I was in my internship? Okay. Great story. Somebody died in the church during service. The sanctuary was tilted like this. It's not great that the person died, but she was like 90. That doesn't mean you deserve to die. But the sanctuary was tilted like this. And we had wood pews in there. And so she just started to slide out of the pew and then fell to the ground. And the church went, ah, because it was kind of scary, right? The thing that was even weirder about this church it was a half circle, kind of like how you're sitting, <laughs> but right towards the front row. And I've always had a, I had a problem with this. And every time I was in this room, it freaked me out. There was a statue of Jesus that was like lurching out, like at an angle, but it was like eight feet high. So you had this coming down with the pews and the statue going like this out where when you sat down, it looked like Jesus was angry and was going to fly at you and hurt you. And every time I was in there, I'm like, I don't know if we're supposed to do this. I don't know if we're supposed to be, if we're supposed to be building this particular thing. Now, we have a cross here, right? But there's this, there's this, you have to make this connection. What is happening in Revelation 13, with the statue and the things that are going on, are, are trying to mimic religious reality a religious truth they're trying to pretend and so you have these you have a statue being created and the, and the statue is given power and authority to to speak to people evil is being personified through through a, a statue do you think people worship Baal in the old testament because because God didn't show up or do you think that people worship Baal because they were looking to exercise some sort of comfort immediately, and and every now and again, evil would step into the situation and maybe give them a little blessing? You don't think that Satan's powerful enough and has been given enough authority to kind of kind of tickle the ears and tickle the fancy of the people of creation, of us, of God's people, and say, hey, maybe if you just give allegiance a little bit elsewhere? Maybe if you just worship this little thing a little bit more, it'll give you the things that you want. Maybe if you just give, maybe if you just give a little bit more attention to this fake God, well, you'll have comfort and you'll have financial pleasure and you'll have life pleasure and your kids will be obedient and everything will be great in your life if you just give a little bit of allegiance. Here, that conversation is happening every single day in every person's life, every day. Right now, every single day, evil has been here from the beginning. From Genesis 3, when the serpent was in the garden, evil has been trying to tempt and to turn allegiance away from God, creator of heavens and earth. And that's what this is all about. Now, here's a here's really interesting thing. We're going to mark our people. We're going to mark the people. We're going to make them show allegiance, not just in their heart, Right? But we're gonna actually show that they have surrendered themselves. Has this happened in scripture before? Does this happen? Yes. This is not abnormal to them. This feels weird to us because they're like, I'm not gonna, I mean, do I have to get a tattoo? Is there gonna be a UPC symbol across my forehead? Oh, wait, I got a vaccine, so now I have this tracker in my arm that's gonna tell everybody where I am all the time. This tells everybody where you are all the time. Doofuses! (laughs) Doofuses! <laughs> You're carrying around a tracker everywhere you go! But the issue is, is we tend to give credit to, to evil because we, we want to feel comfortable with what we're doing and the decision-making we're making, right? Okay, I, I'm standing on the soapbox so much. I'm going to confess something to everybody in this room. I'm vaccinated. I have been shot twice, Okay, Six months ago, I was like, no big deal. Now people are losing their jobs. In San Francisco, you have to to be a kid. To go to a store, you have to be vaccinated and prove it. Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? No, come on, don't be silly. But do you see how evil will creep into everything and begin to shape culture to where people submit to it? I'm not not anti-vax. I'm anti-tell-me-what-to-do. But again, hear this. Forcibly requiring people to do a certain thing to give allegiance to evil, a lot of scholars would call Revelation thirteen the the um, the increase of state. That from the beginning of time, this is Babylon. This is Egypt. This is Rome. This is the United States. Do you think the rest of the world would be doing this if we weren't doing this? Now there's a race to see who can be more controlling. The church has been under this sort of oppression forever. I'm not calling the vaccine mandate oppression, but you understand, when evil jumps into the picture, it will turn and manipulate everything. And the whole point is to begin to point your direction away from God. And then, then there's going to be the moment, the final moment, where evil gets to to say, I'm in charge, and it will be clear. Now, this is the whole message I need to tell you. You will not be shocked when you're asked to take the mark of the beast, okay? It's not going to be a surprise. You're going to be asked to turn away from Jesus and to worship evil. Hear me you will not be tricked into taking the mark of the beast no one has to live in fear of that you will have to choose and decide to turn away from god you know that verse that talks about the unpardonable sin here it is people have been trying to decipher that for so long blasphemy of the holy spirit Revelation 13 is, says blasphemy how many times, like four or five times, of the Holy Spirit. How many pieces of evil are there in this chapter? There's three. It's mimicking the Trinity. They're calling each other these names. They're creating a statue of of a worshipful object, the one who survived the wound, who was resurrected, like the creepy statue in that Lutheran church in Montgomery, Minnesota. We're creating statues to worship, and we're giving power and authority, and we're saying we're not gonna worship God anymore. We're gonna worship this, because this is true power. This is true authority. This is true. Who can stand against it, it says? And this will not be a trick. This will cause the church to make a decision to say, am I going to follow God or, I'm going to, or am I going to turn away and be comfortable? So here's the deal. Half-hearted Christians do not surrender their lives for a cause in which they do not really believe. This is why I'm passionate about preaching Revelation. We have to move from half hearted, comfort based Christianity to vigilant, militant, aggressive, deep seated. I will die for this. I will live my life because Jesus has saved me, and I'm not going to surrender it for anything. I'm not going to compromise, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to let it go, I'm not going to be like, ah, I'm I'm not going to tolerate any evil in my life. This is where I said like three weeks ago, we have to get more aware of the sin that's pervading our spaces, and get more uncomfortable with it, and more disappointed in it, and more angry at it, and say, this doesn't belong in my life anymore, because that that lends us to half-hearted believing to where you will live out in a way to where you're going to chase comfort and you're going to chase pleasure and you're going to chase the easy stuff to where that decision to go, you know what, turn away and and take this mark will be like a no-brainer for me. Like, yeah, I I just want to have my stuff. I want to retire. I want to have a big, fat 401K so I can go to Florida whenever I want to go. I can go to Disney World all the time. I want to live at Disney World. That's how rich I want to be. I want to have corn dogs. And turkey legs every day. And churros. The church is being lulled to sleep by comfort. What what time is it? The best the beast can do. It's parody, mimic, copycat what's already happened. This whole wounded head healed. This We got three of us. We're the Trinity. We're doing wonders and signs. It's all fake. It's copying. It's been happening since the beginning of evil. And it will continue to happen until Jesus comes and wipes it out. I feel like I have one more page, but. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. I'm a first century follower of Christ. I'm living in. What town am I living in? I'm living in Philadelphia. Horrible city, by the way. Anybody been to Philadelphia? Not the one in Turkey, but the other one or wherever. Philadelphia on the East Coast? I know, it's the worst. I hate that place. The roads are the worst. You don't even know where you are. You're on some sort of pike. It's a mess. You're living in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And you're a first century Christian. And you've been taught by... First century Jews. Your church was planted by first century church. Church of Philadelphia was it planted out of? Was it planted out of Antioch? You think? Yeah. So you have this church that planted all these churches. Which my dream is to be in Antioch, just to plant churches all over the place, right? So your leaders are Jews, and you're you're being taught the ways of Christ to follow the way by Jews. which would be filtered in this language from Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, the decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey Then all will go well with you, and you with and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you must love the Lord with all your love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. And that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at your home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, when you're a first century Jew planning churches, this is part of what you were raised in. The Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And one of the practices of the first century church was to remind yourself that the Lord is one, that God is one. And we're gonna love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And one of the practices we have as this good first century Jewish family is we're gonna tie this thing on our wrist. We're gonna write it on our foreheads. We're gonna put it on our doorpost that we love and serve Yahweh. And along comes evil to pervert and twist the very thing, the very practices that you do. To say, you know what, you're not going to be able to shop unless you use this currency. And the only way you're going to be able to come into the store is to prove to me that you don't love this Yahweh. So instead, take that thing off your wrist. Take that thing off your forehead, take that thing off your doorpost, and put this sign of just close enough God on your hand or on your forehead, the 666, the parody of God. You see, the practices of evil is to come right up to the point of being kind of like what we do and then saying, nope, let me destroy you. But it's not gonna be a trick. You'll be asked to turn away from God and to choose evil, and to choose this fake God. All right. Is anybody more confused than when we first started? I kind of am. <laughs> I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to take communion. Now, this is a good day for its communion. Reason being,